Hey there, industrial marketer. Welcome to the Manufacturing Marketer Podcast, a show dedicated to all the small marketing teams working at companies that make stuff. We are your hosts, Brendan Forrest and Mary Keogh. And like you, we both cut our teeth in-house at manufacturing companies. Today, we are senior strategists at Gorilla76, an agency dedicated to building revenue-focused marketing programs for industrial companies. Our aim is to help empower you to get a seat at the table and move the needle forward on your goals. And today, we are continuing our conversation from last week with Chris Belly. Chris oversees the strategic marketing of Studio Science. Studio Science is a design and innovation agency that works with large corporations focusing on designing brands, digital products, and services. Chris, glad to have you on today. Yeah, Thanks thank for joining you, us God. twice. Thank, thank you for having me. This is, this is a lot of fun. Yeah. So last week on Industrial Marketing Live, uh, we discussed what service design is and you know, kind of the work that your agency does. So today, we wanted to drop down and get tactical and talk about how to actually implement service design at a B2B industrial manufacturing company. So Chris, I would say like a lot of our audience ranges in size and companies. So I think you guys tend to work with super large corporations, right? Like I, I think it's so, like Cummins and JP Morgan Chase and Angie, like, you know, Salesforce, like super large companies, right? So we're here talking to companies that are probably like, Mary, what would you say? Like probably 10 to $50 million in revenue. Um, and they, you know, they make stuff, right? So they have machinists, they have welders, uh, assemblers working in America, building stuff, and then selling that stuff to other American companies, typically. So I think a lot of times what we see is, you know, websites that are stuck in the 90s, um, you know, very long emails, uh, they're hard to read, very old flyers, brochures, catalogs. So, you know, where would you start and like, to me, it kind of sounds like we had to start with an assessment, right? And figure out like where we're at. So we know like how to get to where we want to go. So what does that look like for you guys as an agency? Like, how do you start that process? Yeah, it's it's funny that, you know, we keep referring back to B2B industrial marketing or B2C consumer marketing and all these, all these type of things. But for me, I think I said it in the, in the show, it's all marketing. Yeah. Um, you know, I title, you know, we talk about service design a lot, but I title, you know, a lot of my presentations, why your customer experience sucks, because the implementation of service design, the end result is intended to improve the experience across all touch points. And I speak about the human, the digital, and the physical experience. Even some of what you just said then about, um, you know, old antiquated websites as well as old flyers and, and you know, um, communications that are long form and things like that. When we talk about long form communications, has anybody in the industry ever asked the B2B buyer how they want to consume the information? And that, like, that's such a simple thing. And I, I say a lot, common sense isn't very common, but you spend your whole time in print shops and producing these flyers and sending them out direct mail. But is that even the way that the buyer actually wants to consume that piece of information? Um, you know, onto, I said something in the program, if a mobile application is core to your business, you best ensure that that mobile application exceeds the expectation of the end user. Because in this day and age, all the experiences that they're having, whether it's in their home, um, on their drive to work, in a sporting stadium, whatever it is, 
everybody's out experiencing each other, if you know what I mean. And then when they come into the office, it's no different. They expect that their expectations are exceeded um, always. And I think you've just, you've, you've, you've got to, you've got to get up to speed with that. Yeah. I love that you pointed out that it's like threefold because what I will give, you know, B2B industrial, even though it's all just marketing, um, but our niche specifically, I think they're doing a really good job with the physical, like their sales teams are really knowledgeable. They're good at talking to customers. Um, They have at least a semi-decent presence at trade shows. They're meeting customers there. They have decent events, but they are just like, I would say the brand and digital is, you know, one to two out of 10. So yeah, I I imagine if you're selling components to Ford Motor Company and that's what what your company does is produce one component that gets sold to one of the big, one of the big motor companies. And a lot of companies are doing that. And it's, you know, Ford have got contracts with all these other Mm -hmm. smaller, how how do you differentiate what you do from what your competition is doing when you're essentially selling the exact same thing to them? And that is in the, you know, a lot of it is the relationship experience. So Chris, I would say what happens there a lot of times in the commodity space, when the products are not differentiated, it's all price and they just race to the bottom and they race to cutting margins. And so now these companies are ending up trying to sell huge volumes, right? To make any sort of money. And it uh, it's a tough business to be in when you're trying to sell a widget that is the same as everybody else's widget. But but I'll give, I mean, from a sales guy perspective, and you talk about experience, when I worked in Australia, I used to sell um, corporate sponsorships for Australian football. And think think of um, skyboxes and signage at events and things like that. I had I found a niche. I found a niche with um, big high end law firms in the city. I had the highest price suites. My suites were the same as the next guy that sold suites. But what I would do is I would have I would always have inventory, mm-hmm. always. So if it was a hot game, no matter what, I would do anything that I possibly could to get that client that inventory. It was always yes. I was the highest price but they knew that they would get the white glove treatment with me. Mm-hmm. And so they're always prepared to pay more. I know it's not that simple and I do oversimplify things, but what are, you know, aside from price with your research, what are the things in the buyer journey that the buyer considers important? And if you haven't spoken to them about that, you'll never know. Is is speed of delivery important? Is communication important? Is, you know, and I, I hate to say this, but it kind of is the backhand kind of, slip something to me important are they you know is entertainment for uh, my wife and kids a couple of tickets to the local nfl game important you know that all these things go into creating what the experience is is the experience my ability to not even talk to a salesperson and jump into that company's portal and do the ordering online and have a seamless process of you know like when you order a jimmy john's sandwich or something like that your order has been received by the store your order is now ready for pickup. There's, there's so many different touch points along the buyer journey that you've got to be smarter about considering not only things from when they make the decision to purchase all the way through to the purchase, but when they're actually starting to, to think about what they need before they've made the decision to purchase. Yeah, 100%. And I think your point about talking to customers, like has anybody actually asked what they like to consume? Have they asked where they spend time online? And nine times out of 10, that's no. Um, This is like my favorite story to tell. We had this um, one company we were talking to and they had 
the best, like super scientific. They're all like chemical engineers. They made this really unique air filtration system, right? And it's like their differentiator is they use all biological materials. And they were assuming everyone was loving the research aspect. So that it was scientifically backed, guaranteed performance, all that good stuff. And we talked to their customers and they're like, no, we just like that they responded to us within 48 hours. <laughs> like that was it. You know, these guys are all like general contractors, VPs of operations at giant companies. So they're getting jerked around by other companies all the time. And it was actually like the service aspect that differentiated them more than anything. Yeah, I, I think sometimes you can you can delight people um, with customer service, uh, and you know it, it's the we not only deal with the you know the Fortune 500 companies, but um, a lot of our clients are actually high growth technology companies that are funded between kind of 80 million and 500 million. I say funding, not revenue, right? So they're kind of also going through this early maturity of aligning the human, the, the digital, and the, and the physical. Um, experiences, but when it can't, like it's it's the reason why these companies, as they grow, they outgrow their founder. Mm-hmm. The, the founder is so fixated and in love with the product that he built, he truly believes that it is the best product in the market, right? Whereas he starts to get outmarketed by companies who invest in brand and mm-hmm. other points of differentiation along the journey, and. You know, I gave the example of Drift. They do a great job of a great brand, a great digital experience, um, and a great a great physical experience by by way of interaction with their people through various forms of communication. Yeah, and like that is such a great example with Drift because you pointed this out in the IML episode. It's just a chatbot. Like yeah. <laughs> it's nothing super fancy, and I'm sure they like what we see in industrial is most companies are putting all of their budget or a significant amount of their budget toward product engineering. So continuously improving either a single product or some major big system, if that's all that they sell. And they're really letting themselves down because Drift, I would say it's a really good chatbot. Is it the best chatbot in the whole world? I don't know. I haven't looked at all of them, but yeah, exactly. Nobody really cares. So if you just get it 80% there, and you have a product that someone loves, it's a really good one. So, you know, it's just above average. Spend that other budget on customer experience. Like, you know, I would do this at my old company and people would complain about the shipping system. Like I want shipping updates automatically like Amazon, right? Everybody wants it like Amazon. And we would, it's still like all small, minor improvements in, you know, one product out of hundreds in our product line, rather than putting that money toward improving the shipping notification system, which would have, you know, satisfied 80% of our customer base. I think one thing to keep in mind here too, is especially in industrial, like I think people are so like focused in on competition, right? Like I make this thing and my competition makes this other really similar thing. So all they consider is what is my competition doing? And I just have to beat them. But then when you start talking about customer experience, well, like, so what Mary just said, you're competing against Amazon on how to do shipping. Well, you're competing against, you know, Netflix for, uh, you know, website UI, right. You're like, you're competing against all these other things out there that people could be spending their time with, um, in that. Right. And so that's, I think what you're talking about, Chris is like, you're competing with a lot of other areas. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, no, no one in this day and age, to your point about Amazon, 
they've they've kind of set the bar high. Nobody has time for for a digital product that's a basic requirement of doing business that is infuriating. Mm-hmm. And even I'll tell you this. Here's a story about the pink shorts, right? I was going to Vegas and I saw these pink swim trunks, and I'm a bit out there, right? And I love these pink swim trunks. They had um, it was a um, it was a veteran-owned business. They had grenades and pineapples on them, and they were just these cool, fun. I was going to Vegas, right? So I wanted <laughs> the pink swim trunks, and I was going to Vegas in five days. So I ordered these swim trunks. I get an email back saying, "Please." Be patient and bear with us. We are a veteran-owned business. There's only a few of us in the warehouse. We will get to it when we get to it. Like, I was like, wow, okay, five days. We'll see what happens here. Updated shipping, 10 days. Yeah. 10 days in this day and age. I don't care. Like, yeah, you're doing your best you can. I get it. I appreciate it. But, man, that has just become an unacceptable amount of time to wait for an order. Took my son last night. It was his birthday on the weekend. Uh, beautiful little kid. Shout out to Ryder, 10 years old. Um, <laughs> Hell yeah, Ryder. <laughs> yeah, we went to Target. We bought a Nintendo game that he had some gift cards for, and then he wanted a Rubik's Speed Cube. It wasn't available. I ordered it at 6 p.m. on Amazon. It's on its way. It'll be here by today, right in time for our car ride to St. Louis for fall break. Like that, th- I mean, it makes you wonder why you even bother going to the store yeah. when you can get something that quick so you're right you're competing against like i said it yesterday i said it the other day um amazon apple you know apple's a great one when you talk about not even the experience with the digital products and all that but even the experience on the packaging right you know even the way that and, and there's there's case studies on this the way they design the boxes and the material that they use for the slow release you're unveiling of a new product and it, you hold it in your hand and it's 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 like you you've lit your lightsaber for the first time and you and you you, you, know, you look sky it, it just it's got a different feel to it it's luxury and you know they're just they're all the things that create experience yeah heck yeah all right so let's get like super tactical so you know you're at one of these industrial companies you know your customer experience isn't great you're nailing it in the physical, but you're severely lacking in the brand and the digital. What do you do? What do you do? Um, you first educate people, and that's one of the hardest things. You educate people on the importance of the total experience. The to- total experience, or TX, right? It's going to be a new buzzword. Um, I didn't coin the phrase. It's not mine. I don't own it. But it's, there's not been much said about it. But it's basically... Are you educating your audience or are you educating like your company? You're educating your company. You're educating yeah. internally. Okay. And I imagine some of these companies have, you know, second or third generation ownership yep. um, that only learnt from what their you know, parents had done and things like that, which not to say that it's not right because they're probably nailing certain aspects of it. Um, but it's why you hire experts to do certain jobs. So you educate them on the importance of delivering the total experience and that, that, you know, one part of the experience, if one part of the experience lets you down, it destroys the whole experience. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the reason why, you know, sometimes people won't come back. Mm-hmm. I won't I won't use that product, I won't use that company anymore because of what happened last time. They could do you could do ninety-nine percent of the things right, and that one percent is gonna bring you unstuck. Just so, like you and pink shorts, right? Like you probably not gonna go back to that company. 
and you know what? They, and they've got some good stuff, and I get their email updates, but I just don't want to wait. Um, yeah. It's kind of the example I gave with American Airlines as well. I don't want to. I don't want to call a one eight hundred number when I'm using their mobile app. Mm-hmm. That's not why I'm using the mobile app. So, one is the education piece. Um, the second is, you know, incremental improvements that show return on investment. Hundred uh, percent. Yeah. Even things like your website. Your website doesn't need to tell someone everything about your company. And imagine, I imagine when when companies in this area do website redesigns, they migrate all of the content from the old website to the new website. Yep. Spend, spend some money chatting with a content strategist or a copywriter to refine the copy down. Um, it don't, you don't even need to spend it with a brand designer to articulate the value that you bring, but just make it more easily digestible for people. You don't need to have 100 pages. You can have one really long landing page provided it guides the, the guides the user or the or the prospective buyer to a destination that's meaningful for your business a call to action a download this a um, have one of our people reach out to you I mean, and those incremental changes are proof points for for the executive team to say okay this person might be onto something here yeah I think that so many of these industrial companies because they serve a lot of segments. They serve a lot of job titles. They want their website to perform the work of every single salesperson in their organization. So everyone who serves every segment, every job title, every product line, but really, you know, your sales materials can do that. So you can have sales materials for any of your segments, right? But if your website, to your point, Chris, is speaking very specifically to you know, the profit margin area where you want to grow. So let's say, you know, you do really well in food and beverage for the next two quarters. I want our website homepage to only speak to food and beverage VPs of operations, let's say, and test it out. Like, I love that these companies also think their website is like the 10 commandments, like etched in stone and they can never, ever change it. And it's going to be like put in some museum. It's like, no, you can change your website copy anytime you want. Like, stop, like having this crazy, um, solid mindset, you know? Your, your website can't be a snapshot in time. And, and when I say a snapshot in time, I mean the actual timeline, but I also mean a snapshot in time of, 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 someone's, of what's inside someone's head. Mm-hmm. So if you leave all of that responsibility to one person, then your website becomes um, like your website becomes basically an artifact of what they perceive yeah. everything is versus taking in the perspectives of the most important people. And that is your buyers. And, you know, it's funny. I, I talk a lot about external stakeholder interviews, your prospective buyers, your existing buyers and your lapsed customers. But then there's the internal stakeholder interviews, which are critically important, mm-hmm. but not everyone is an internal stakeholder candidate because there are some people that can't really offer valuable insights internally. And sometimes they're the owners or the executive team. But interview the people that understand the industry, Mm -hmm. understand the trajectory of the business and understand the opportunities for the business. And they're the people that will get that will provide far better insights than potentially the guy whose family's owned it for for four generations. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. What I'm really hearing here is you need to have some sort of program at your company to continually be talking to 
those three different types of external stakeholders, at least, Chris, right? And like, and then maybe something internally to talk to your internal stakeholders and just continually ask them the question on how do you best consume information? And then where are the roadblocks for you with our digital experience or our customer experience? Right. And then just continually make those small iterative changes. That was one thing that you said on the IML that really caught my attention was to do this iteratively and not comprehensively, like at one spot. Like, you know, every year we're going to, you know, look at customer experience and make changes and make big wholesale changes when in reality is way better to do small changes over time. Yeah. We, we look at, you said something there that jogged my memory. Uh, when I look at the customer journey, the, the customer journey, you know, you look at it like a funnel or whichever, you look at it like a linear timeline, whatever it is, but it doesn't need to be through the lens of brand or physical or, or digital. It's got to be through the lens of what are, where are the opportunities to influence the buyer journey? Mm-hmm. And I said, I said last night, so there's a whole, you know, area around how you get someone to actually fill out the form online. That pings my mobile. I'm able to respond to them within five minutes. The next morning, I don't even go digital. I, I, I create a physical artifact that I ship to them. Then it's a follow-up. Then it's a drip feed of, of potential emails. Then if they visited our website, it's retargeting ads through Google. Then when you actually get to the meeting, who do they want to speak to? Who, who do they want to be in that first meeting? Do they want to talk to, to me, the, the, the fast-talking Australian guy, or do they want to go straight to subject matter experts who can actually start to help them solve their problems? Then I look at the speed of proposal, how quickly I can turn around a proposal that actually satisfies their needs, um, you know, what, what my contracts look like. Or, like There's so many different ways that you can affect it that um, – I'm, I'm constantly looking when we lose deals, or even when we win deals, I'm constantly looking at the things that went wrongs and the things that went right. Yeah, that's awesome. So, okay. So let's say we've been talking to customers and internal stakeholders, and we've identified a thing that needs to change. How do you go about creating that change? A lot of the times, if you can do it, um, I think part of the problem with, you know, um, one person solo marketing teams is they're, they're kind of, it's stuck in their old ways. It's, it's how we've always done it type of mentality. Um, you know, uh, you know, the industry might be telling you or your customer segments might be telling you, like, stop wasting your money on, on flyers and brochures. We don't want to see that. Send it to me via a link. And then you decide to make the change and go, we're not doing those brochures. We're going to do it as an, as an email blast. And then, um, you know, uh, Jim Bob, from uh, finance who's been there 25 years where's our flyer Where, where's the where's the 2023 brochure this year why aren't we doing a brochure there's that type of stuff or you can't where's our calendar yeah where's our calendar like <laughs> or you can't make a change to you can't make a change to the website because it's hard coded and you need to call you know some company that may not even be in business anymore to make the updates for you like yeah i'm, I'm, I'm speaking yeah. to my people here right um, then you've got to, then you've got to, you know, we first started with the education piece, then you've got to make a case for budget. Mm-hmm. And then if you haven't got the internal expertise, you have to go and hire talent. Um, yeah. I think one know, of the most, one of the most important things you said during this talk was if you don't have it, go hire an expert, like stop trying to do 
Stop trying to ask your marketing specialist to be a content strategist. That's not their area of expertise. They run trade shows and edit the website. Like, yep. stop forcing these kinds of responsibilities onto non-experts. I think companies have this inflection point where, you know, the expression, I'm going to mess this up. I hope I don't mess this up. You know, um, jack of all trades is jack of all trades, master of none. Right. But that's actually not the expression. There's actually a third piece that's true. If you look it up on Google, it's, and I should have had this written out because I'm going to stuff it up. I'll look it up. I'm uh, at the Yeah, do, do the full one. Jack of all trades. Uh, you know, master of none is better than a master of one. That's the that's the full kind of quote, Brendan. As you as you're looking that up, but I'll go on to explain this inflection point. Right, the inflection point is, yes, you do need to have people that can do quite a lot of things early on, but when the company grows past a certain amount of revenue, or or the the demands on the business um, start to press down on marketing, you have to expand that that. Um, that marketing skill set within your own marketing team. And that's when you that you move away from generalists and you start to bring in specialists. Yeah, 100%. Do you have any like good tips for like how to communicate when a company is at an inflection point in any skill set? It could be marketing, sales, whatever. The, the, the founder of Studio Science, Christian Anderson, um, you know, a very dear friend of mine, former owner, but you know, I love the man to death. He used to always refer to areas of the business breaking other areas of the business, nice. right? And so when revenue's down, sales is broken. So bring in a new sales leader, fix sales, right? And then when sales gets really good, it breaks delivery, right? And then so you fix delivery and operations and then, and then operations gets really good which then breaks finance and payroll and HR. You need to fix those people. And then eventually it all swings back around and sales is broken because marketing's broken. Mm-hmm. And they're the, ty- they're the type of triggers. Like it happened at Studio Science. I came in, we've forexed we've this business in the time that I was here. Now, I want to I sit back and I want to pat myself on the back and say I'm an expert at this, but I'm not. They just didn't have a sales head. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I set about fixing sales. That was my aim. Three years into it, I basically said to my business partner, I can't keep pounding the pavement here and driving this business forward without the support of marketing. So now, yeah, sales is going to break if I don't get ahead of this. Let's 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 build a marketing team. And I'm fortunate that I've got a very hardworking um, you know, group of people that that you know help keep our pipeline absolutely stacked. Yeah, that's awesome. And it, it feels like a lot of times in industrial, especially on the sales side, is when that is broken, they just say, well, we just don't have enough people, right? So they just start throwing people at the problem and not thinking about, well, are these the right people? And then what is the process or the system that underlays all of this uh, that is you know, causing the problems to begin with? And yeah. it, it seems like a lot to like, you know, it's like when you go to the doctor and you like are treating symptoms only. It's like, well, you've got some major underlying conditions here. Like maybe it's time to like fix your diet instead of, you know, just throwing, you know, eating pills, you know? Yeah. That, that's, that's actually a great analogy as well. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> did you find that quote? Did you find that quote? Yet? Yeah, I'm, it was, uh, you, ba- you basically nailed it. It's a uh, jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. So, so it's saying, what- you know, you know, be good at a lot of different stuff. Yeah, and that's what people people forget that they they only get the first two lines of that phrase, and 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 think that they 
that they shouldn't be something where it's actually critically important at certain maturity of an organization. Mm-hmm. Man. Nice. All right, should we handle some uh, questions from the audience? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so Chris, this is our lightning round. This is um, try to answer, top of your head, <laughs> best answer you can give. Doesn't have to be perfect, just has to be fast, which is I know your favorite thing. Lighting so nervous. Yes. <laughs> All right. Number one. How do we know if our brand is resonating with our ICP? Research. Nice. R- research. That was fast. <laughs> research. I mean, it's it's so simple. Um, or more important, like further down than that, sales results potentially. Yep. Nice. Brendan, you got anything to add? Um, so, Chris, what do you think is the best way to get that? Re- like, do the research. Like, how, how do you like to go and like and talk to customers and get that information? Uh, well, for, oh, you're not going to like this answer, but fortunately for me, I've got a whole team of researchers and strategists to do that work. <laughs> but again, collecting information is only one part of it. Your ability to synthesize that information and turn it into something actionable is completely different. When I say be 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 customer obsessed and not competitor obsessed, you still need to do a, um, a market analysis of what your competition is doing to identify some of the opportunities for differentiation. Because in order to create unique positioning, you need to understand where other people are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love that. And I would like to just emphasize again that Chris just said he has a team dedicated to customer research and content. Just saying. Okay, next question. How do we bring employees more into our company narrative? They have to be involved in the decision-making process and not involved as in in they've got to be making the decisions at the boardroom table. But if you have, if you try and set a a, um, marketing plan or redesign the brand or redesign um, brand value propositions and you're expecting the salespeople or the executive team to buy into that, the easiest way to have them buy into that is have them as part of the process. Mm-hmm. Have them heard because we've seen it before where a recommendation to the client, um, we need to speak to some executives and the internal salespeople. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. 12 months on, salespeople aren't using the materials that have been provided to them by marketing because they weren't consulted and they think it's inaccurate. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the same thing. Um, at my previous company, we were working on positioning for new products. And I interviewed every single salesperson to get their thoughts and their uh, their buy-in, basically, just so that they felt like they had some say in this. Right before I go and create my my really neat positioning paragraph, right? <laughs> like, but you know, the, building a coalition is so important to like having any sort of initiative work. Like, initiatives don't happen on one person. Yeah, my my uh, my business partner CEO does it very well. Um, it's taken me a few years to work out what he's doing, but he actually asks you so many questions so that you actually provide him an answer that he already knew and it makes it sound like it was your idea. Love so, that. Yeah, it just kind of, it's it's like a reverse psychology thing. Yeah, that's a that's like, you know, negotiation 501 tactics right there. Yeah. <laughs> Graduate level. All right, here we go. How would you suggest attacking the issue of having multiple audiences that differ quite a bit from each other? Uh, we referred to this yeah, in, the, um, in the show. 
multiple audiences means multiple it's multiple audiences means multiplying the number of um number of interviews or or expanding the scope of work on interviews because they're different and unique i think when you translate that into um messages and value propositions and things there is something there is a need for that primary overarching value proposition message and then and then the secondary messages start to tear down into the verticals that you serve or the personas that you serve. Yeah, I do think okay. sometimes industrials go a little crazy with this though. And I think a lot of times they're going to be like, well, you know, automation machinery and manufacturing machinery are very different and we need to speak to them very differently. When I think a lot of times you can raise that messaging up and, you know, talk to just machinery manufacturing as a whole um, and create a larger audience. I think a lot of times we just try to niche down way too far in industrial marketing. Um, when I think, yeah, I think it could be raised up a little bit, you know, maybe like instead of like, you just talk to food people, right? Like food manufacturing, maybe we don't have to talk about like, you know, granola manufacturers and dairy manufacturers, like maybe like, you know, the warehouse people in both of those industries are pretty much the same person and they speak the same lingo. But I think that comes down to like what Chris, you've been saying is talk to people and research and like, do those two warehouse managers say the same thing? Agreed. Yep. All right. That's all I got. That was quick. Lightning. Yeah. Lightning round. <laughs> Small start. Lightning round. <laughs> um, okay. So that's our wrap up. Uh, Chris, let's do like, let's do a little plug for studio science. I love what well, you guys are so, doing. Talk to me about it. Oh, no. Go ahead. Do, do, you, do you have any parting thoughts for us before we close out? No, it, it's kind of, it's since the first conversation I had with Mary, which was many months ago now, um, it, it's just, it's intrigued me and it's frustrated me at the same time that I, like, I've got an acute understanding of some of the frustrations that a lot of the marketers are probably experiencing right now. Um, but I do think there is um, some political showmanship that has to go on mm-hmm. as far as the um, kind of drawing a line in the sand within your own organization and saying, no, this is the way that we are going to market. This is how it has to be done. Uh, and, you know, that education piece on, and this is why it's critically important for us, um, which is, yeah, that's that's the only kind of parting thing that I would say. It's difficult. Mm-hmm. It, it is. It's really difficult. But um, the upside, if you get it right, is um, is huge. I agree. All right. All right. Go ahead, Mary. Yeah. Let's do our, um, tell us a little bit about studio science and then we'll close it out with our, our usual end. Yeah. Well, studio science, I mean, studio science is a design and innovation agency. We've been around for, you know, roughly 25 years. Um, so we help companies, you know, design better brands, products, and services by understanding what their customers need. So everything that we do for our customers is on a foundation of um, their customers' understanding. Um, Nothing that we do, no decisions that we make um, from a consultative perspective don't have a foundation of fact, if, uh, if if that's helpful. The tactical execution of that, because, you know, you talk about different personas, we have very mature buyers and we have kind of less sophisticated buyers. Less sophisticated buyers want to know what they're buying, the widgets. We want a new logo. We want a new website. We want a new this or that. Whereas the um, more mature buyers 
talk about um, help us do the research, strategize that, and then tell us what you're building for us. And so the tactical execution of all of our work is you know, brand design, brand strategy, website design, service design, uh, mobile applications, digital product design, um, and e-commerce, uh, B2B e-commerce solutions. Chris, are you talking about total experience anywhere online? Like where can people like hear more about this from you? Uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I, am I talking about it online? Not really. Um, not Certainly not total experience because it's service design is already confusing for people that sure. I, don't wanna, I don't wanna throw in total experience. Uh, talking a lot about service design and the importance of connecting, you know, the human, the physical and the digital experiences. Awesome. Um, and it's funny, people are already practicing and thinking about service design without them actually knowing that they're doing it. So in the in the podcast description, I'll put a link to uh, Chris's LinkedIn profile so you can go connect with him there. And uh, I'm assuming they can reach out to you if they have questions, Chris. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I'm... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm I didn't want to assume. I'm, I'm open, open... DMs are closed, okay? <laughs> No pitch slaps. That's right. No pitch slaps, anybody. Cool. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. You know, about two hours together uh, talking about this. So, yeah, great. Um, I, and I think, like, man, there's not many industrial companies that are doing anything like this or actually like thinking about it. And so, think about the competitive advantage you get uh, if you start implementing these changes. It's huge. Hundred percent. And that's and that's that's what I think about at the end of it. You can you can really stand out by doing something completely different. And it's not that hard. All right, Mary, should we hit them with uh, with our details now? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, right. you guys, this is a wrap-up from an episode of Industrial Marketing Live. It is a bi-monthly event. Brendan, me, and some of the other strategists at Gorilla76 host. Um, going into 2023, we are ready and raring already to go. already packing the calendar out. Yeah, Crazy. our schedule is looking awesome. Um, you can register anytime at industrialmarketinglive.com. And Brendan, let's hit him with some Slack group details. We have a Slack group and it is full of industrial marketers. We're almost at 100 people right now. And it is a place for us to discuss everything that happens in industrial marketing. So we talk about digital marketing. We talk about events. Uh, we talk about running ads. We talk about websites. Talk about your flyers, your trade shows. So get in there and ask questions and be a part of a community of other people that are just like you. Uh, if you would like to get hooked up with a Slack group, just DM me and Mary and we'll get you invited. Simple as that. Just a quick DM on LinkedIn or an email to our guerrilla emails. Cool. I think that's it. Let's wrap it up. All right. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate thanks, your Chris. time. Thank you, guys. Oh, man. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs>